But the series is called Mosaic. And the, this concept of taking the broken and seeing it turn into something beautiful is this theme that goes through, throughout the scriptures. From early in Genesis, where the wheels come off and God planned for us to have a relationship with Him and spend time with Him, and then sin enters the world, God had a plan to turn the broken into beauty. And I'm so grateful that He didn't say, you know what, I'm just going to scrap it. This is broken and I can't deal with this. So many of us, we have broken pieces of our lives. Where we sometimes break things willfully and other times we break things accidentally and absentmindedly. But we're still going around, most of us breaking more things than we put putting together. And God is about taking those broken pieces that we think are useless. Us putting them in his hands and him doing something absolutely beautiful with it. And today we celebrate that. God making something beautiful from something broken. Because Easter, really, it's the ultimate mosaic. We look at it and we sing about it today. We have Good Friday. Which, you know what? The fact that we call it Good Friday, that's a mosaic all by itself. That we can, on this side of it, look back and call it good. That was an ugly Friday. That was, in fact, it was a dark Friday. The, the, the sun went out when Jesus, when Jesus died. It was bloody and it was brutal and it was ugly and every one of Christ's followers was confused. Nobody in that moment said, Woo! This is a good day. Nobody, nobody thought that would ever be called good whatever. Nobody. But because of what was accomplished, the brokenness, the ugly, the, the, just the gruesomeness, we on the other side of it, we look back. And we call it good. See, Jesus' broken body was restored on Easter. Our broken relationship was rest- with God was restored. Access to heaven is restored. Really, when you think about it, our, the number one symbol of Christianity, if you're going to have one symbol that represents Christianity, is the cross. And you know, and I bet some of you have some really beautiful crosses on you right now. Some of you might have some nice little pretty cross earrings, a little cross necklace, all blinged out. When different churches, we don't have one here because we're in a movie theater, but they'll have real ornate, real beautiful crosses. But really, when you think about it, the cross, it's a gruesome thing. When it came about, there was nobody wanted one of those hanging around their house. The cross was, a, the crucifixion was a capital punishment reserved for slaves and horrendous criminals. A Roman citizen, no matter how bad he messed up, could not be crucified. Because it was too terrible. So here's this thing that in its day was this symbol of capital punishment. And we see it as something beautiful. For us to put this in our, in our culture... It would like all of us having a bunch of maybe a little really froofy hangman nooses. And we put them around our necks and we say, Ooh, you see my little noose earrings? Aren't these beautiful? Or maybe an electric chair. You have like these little electric chairs that have flowers and little sparkles and blings on them. Don't you love my electric chairs? Aren't they awesome? I got my big old electric chair I'm representing. That's what it was. It was a form of capital punishment. Have your little beautiful lethal injection mechanism or whatever it is. 
That's what that was. But you and I, we look at the cross and we don't see ugly in death. We see something beautiful. Something we want to decorate our bodies with and, and put up in our churches and, and, and put little bling on. And because we see the beauty in it, not the death. It in itself is a mosaic of God taking something gruesome and turning it into something beautiful. See, Isaiah 61, this was Jesus' assignment. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. When, after Jesus came out of the place of temptation in the wilderness, he grabs the scroll in the presence of everybody and he starts reading right there. And he reads that and then he declares to the high priest and to everybody listening, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus came to take the broken and turn it into something beautiful. That's why he came, because we were all messed up. The best of us was messed up. See, Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to those whose hearts have been broken. He saves those whose spirits have been crushed. If you're here this morning and you are brokenhearted, we have a promise here that the Holy Spirit of God is especially close to you. You say, well, I don't feel close to God. That's why I'm brokenhearted. I'm wondering where he is right now. I got drugged to this church service, and I'm not really very happy about having to be in this environment right now. I'm brokenhearted right now. I'm telling you, God has a special place in his heart for those who are dealing with that kind of pain today. And as we're looking at, at that, as we're looking at dealing with the broken and turning it into beautiful, we have to understand that there are certain things that bring broken pieces into our life. That there are agents of destruction in our life. And really there are three big agents of destruction. There are three big ones. And we're going to look at it. But first, I want to tell you a story about a big place where there was something shattered that God made now incredible in my life. If you've been around me in my ministry for very long, you've heard this story before, so just roll with me. But <clears throat> whenever I, I've been a car guy forever, I've always liked cars, and I, I like classics. I like 1968 anything. I think that's the, the pinnacle of automotive design. And um, my dad had always told me, man, boy, whenever it's time for you to get a car, because I'd say the kind of car I wanted when I was 10, 11 years old. I want a Porsche 911. I want a Lamborghini. I want this. I want a GTO. I want any of these things. And, and my dad's like, you're going to have to get a job. And so I was like, he's like, you're going to have to buy your own car. So I'm 15 years old. We're on vacation in Arkansas. I'm thinking about turning 16 and getting a car and, and um. And so we passed this uh, car lot, and it has two fully restored convertible Mustangs, a 65 and a 66. Gorgeous cars, collector-quality cars. And, man, we just, just begin to drool. Well, all of a sudden, this, this little beautiful harmonic resonance between me and my father take place. Because my dad's first car was a 66 Mustang. So I start saying classic Mustangs, and my dad all of a sudden awakens. And he's like, huh, all right. 
So we began to look, and we spent a good chunk of our vacation looking at Mustangs. We were going to trailer one in and, and bring it back, and we looked at all the how to restore them and buy the different pieces and all of that stuff. So, man, all of a sudden now my dad's engaged, and he's ready, and he actually even set a budget. And it's a decent budget. We looked at quite a few Mustangs that would fit in that budget, some good daily drivers. And we looked at a number of them in Odessa, Midland area, and uh, my mom even test drove one and was trying to run zero to 60 times in it, which I thought was pretty cool, <laughs> the 15-year-old boy. And um, so in s- my mom running zero to 60 times in somebody else's car. That may not have been a good idea. <laughs> and so, uh, but anyways, we were, it was just a family deal. So we'd set this budget, and it was, it was a solid budget. And then I'd get out the old thrifty nickel, and I'm looking through, and here's this 67 Mustang for sale. And it says all of the different stuff, but it was not just a little bit over budget. It was double the budget. And so I'm like, oh, man, but it's, it just sounds awesome. I was like, Dad, here's this Mustang, and yeah, it's, it's way more expensive, but let's just go look at what a Mustang of that caliber would look like. Let's just go look. So my dad comes along, and, and so we drive up the street there in Odessa. The guy has it in his driveway, and as we make the corner, I'm telling you, the little angel sang, and it, whoo, and it just sat in the driveway, and it just glowed. And I'm telling you, me and my dad both fell in love. I'm sure we were drooling. It was this 1967 Acapulco Blue fully restored Mustang. Had styled steel wheels, dual exhaust with glass packs, been bored 30 over, had the lopy cam, so whoop, 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 whoop. Had the, had the uh, 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 two-tone interior, center console. This car was just incredible. It had three coats of paint, seven coats of clear, and it just glowed. I mean, it was awesome. This car looked so good, you wanted to lick it. I mean, it was just like... Oh, this car is awesome. So we look at this car, drive it, and just absolutely fall in love with this vehicle. And my dad just goes absolutely crazy. He just goes and does something so insane to me, this incredible act of love. And my dad says, we'll take it. Oh, yes. I'm I'm not even 16 yet. I'm 15 years old, and my dad is buying me my dream car i mean i I washed it every week i tried to sleep in it but that's just not very conducive to sleep but i tried and i mean it was just incredible absolutely incredible dad had to dip into his savings and, and and do some stuff to 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 access this vehicle but he did it and provided me with this vehicle it was just an it's incredible moment i finally get my driver's license in that vehicle I don't like, normally like to say that I failed it in two other vehicles. And so that should give you a prelude. And so, um, but I finally get my, I get my uh, driver's license on the third try. And uh, so I'm turned loose with it. And my, I'm the oldest with two sisters. And so it's now my role to take them to school. So I was loading them up to take them to school. Made them sit in the back seat because I was going to pick up my best friend. And he was going to have shotgun. And my sister, we're just not even a block and a half down the street. And my sister, Heather, played the instrument that was handed up by Lucifer himself out of the pits of hell. This was, this was just a horrible instrument. It's called the clarinet. I don't know if any of you. In fact, Squidward plays it, so it has to be from hell. And so, and it's just, 
it, it's really not, I'm not against the clarinet. I'm against the clarinet case. Because it's in this hard little box with these hard little corners on it. And my sister is in the back of that tight little Mustang. And she's trying to figure out where to stick this clarinet seat. I mean clarinet case. And she is banging it around. And she's banging it around in the back. She goes, I don't know where to put it. I don't know where to put it. I'm like, Heather, put it right there. She's like, I don't know where to put it. I don't know where to put it. Heather put it right there. And she's still going on. And she's just banging it. I could just see it in my mind just gouging and my perfect Mustang vinyl. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And I'm like, Heather, put it right there. Yep. (laughs) Completely parked, non-mobile, 78 Trans Am. It was silly. It was parked. I hit it just 50-50. Boom. Never hit the brakes, never saw it. Side of my face hits the steering wheel. Car just crumples. Fluids are pouring out everywhere. My sisters are crying in the back seat. You just hear the fluids coming. We watch way too many 80s TV shows where that means your car's going to blow up. (laughs) So they're freaking out. And so I get out, pull them out. I'm looking at my car. It is just demolished. And I just can't believe this is the way this is. My sister sit on the curb, and I literally was so distraught that I just went and laid in the middle of the street. I just laid in the middle of the street. I seriously was hoping someone would just not see me and just come and run over me. I really was. I'm not joking. The only person that drives up is my mother. She had been out to the mall walking. So, and I didn't even, of course, I'm not thinking clearly. So the scene she drives up on, Y'all are, y'all are sharp today. <laughs> the scene she drives up on are my two sisters sitting on the curb crying, the smash car, my body laying in the middle of the street. <laughs> so she pulls up in the Suburban, pulls up, and I, you know, see her pull up there, and she comes up, and she, there's no telling what's going through her mind, and then I just get up <laughs> and come up to her, and she's flooded with relief, and now I'm going to choke you. I can't believe you're okay laying in the middle of the street. And I'm just, I'm just sobbing. I'm just absolutely, absolutely sobbing, and I go into shock, and I just, I am so afraid of confronting my dad and my dad dealing with this and the loss of my vehicle, and I just wanted, I literally wanted my life to be over. It was all absolutely, totally messed up there. And in that car process, I had all of these three major things for destruction taking place in my life. The first one was, is idolizing something other than God. That car very much became an idol to me. It became my identity. It became everything to me. It was one of these things that there was a... earlier, about a month before, that somebody had come along at school and had keyed it. So this brand of key down that perfect paint. And then they didn't just key it. They keyed it and keyed it. And then they wrote the word stupid, carved the word stupid into the side of the car. I was so infuriated. I'm 16 years old. and I have no idea who did it. But in my mind, I fantasized about getting my dad's shotgun. I'm serious. And killing this person over this paint job. I went that crazy, that wackadoo over it. It was just messed up. Bible says that if you have murdered someone in your heart, you're a murderer. I'm telling you, I crossed the line. I was there over this car, over that. 
I just absolutely had just gone crazy. First John 5, 20 says, We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. Even in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Why do we have to keep ourselves from idols? Because we can easily drift towards them. Making our talents our own idol. Making some our job. Making our identity. Making all sorts of different things. They come in and unseat us. And they bring, set us up for an incredible brokenness and destruction in our lives. The next one is self-centeredness. Self-centeredness ultimately crowds out everyone but you, including God. I had a group of friends for a long time called the fellas. We were real tight. I have an October birthday, so I was one of the first ones in my group to get my driver's license. So everybody wanted to you know, ride to lunch with me. We had off-campus lunch. And, and Mustangs have really long doors. They're just real long. They swing real wide. And I'm, I'm normally a very calm guy. I'm not this guy who just loses it on a regular basis. But my buddies one day were fighting over the, who was going to ride shotgun. Swing the car door a little much and, and nick the paint again. And uh, so I'm sitting there and I go over there and I look at it. And both of them are standing there and I just reach over and I just punch the closest one to me. And yell at both of them, both of you get in the back seat. And they were so freaked out, they both just crammed in the back seat. I wasn't a guy that they were necessarily intimidated of or whatnot, but just my reaction was so abnormal. And I didn't, I didn't care. I didn't care if they didn't like me. I didn't care if, if, if I'd lost my friends over the deal. There's a guy that at lunch one time comes out of a restaurant, and everybody knew I was just too goofy and crazy over my car, and he puts a chicken nugget, a chicken nugget, on my hood. It's like waves at me through the glass of the restaurant and drives away. I went berserk. I got my car, went back to campus, found him in the hall, jacked him up against the lockers and was like, don't you ever touch my car again. Just stupid. It's a chicken nugget. I'd lost my mind. James 3.16 says, where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. We become self-centered and we don't care about anybody else. We push everybody else out. And then the last one is not believing. And it's not believing that God loves us and is for us and sets us, sets us up. <clears throat> that sets us up to make destructive decisions in our lives. Not being aware that God's for us and loves us. Not believing it. We'll disregard his counsel. We'll disregard what he has for our lives and we'll just go our own way and I'm telling you, we get ourselves in trouble every time. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because it, anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. At that moment, when my car was wrecked, I didn't believe that, I, that the life that laid ahead of me, I wanted. It was that silly. But a life without that car, I didn't want. I didn't believe my dad would be able to process it and would be able to deal with it. I didn't believe that I could get through it. And I was ready to punch out and be done right then and right there. Acts 9, 23 and 24 says, If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. And help me overcome my unbelief. That's all he asked of us. 
Let's be honest with him. Say, God, I believe you're there. I'm having some doubts. I'm having some troubles. Help me overcome these issues. But God, I know you're there and I know you're for me. See, idolatry and self-centeredness and not believing I have sin, it's just sin jumbled. And all sin is is simply trying to is simply putting life in the wrong order. It's a broken way of living that produces broken results, and that's why God doesn't want it for us. It simply breaks our lives. It hurts us. He's not trying to keep anything good from us. He's trying to keep us away from destruction. And seeing when we look at it, we bring most of this stuff on ourselves. But I love it that God's ultimate response to our fractured lives is not what we had expected. Just like he didn't scrap it with Adam and Eve and say, man, this is broken. I'm going to start over. He doesn't do that with us either. See, Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. My dad uh, obviously had to be notified. My mom lets my dad know, and uh, he comes home from work. And uh, I'm in my room. I'm just laying down on my bed, and I'm in shock. I'm shaking. I'm having the chills. My sisters obviously never made it to school, so they're at home. And uh, so I get word from my mom. My mom comes in and, you know, lets us know that we need to pack a bag. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, great. Uh, you know, my dad's done being a parent here. And uh, all this is time to pack our bag. So we pack a bag, load up in the Suburban, and head towards, head towards uh, Andrews. Have a 30-minute drive there. Silence. Nobody says a word. My dad doesn't say a word to me. Nothing, nothing is said. We get to my grandmother's house. They, my parents drop us off. Dad quickly speaks to my grandmother. They get back in the vehicle. It never says a word. It doesn't say bye. It say it just leaves. Gone for, I don't remember how long, a couple of days. I don't know. No contact. I'm just moping around my grandmother's house. They come back, pick us up. My dad doesn't say a word. Get back in the vehicle, drive. The 30 minutes, silence, doesn't say a word. Get home, doesn't say a word. I go to my room, <clears throat> silence. At some point, I have to come out, and I'm walking through, walking up the hallway, get into our living room, just a shotgun living room. My dad's ha- room is on the other end of the house, and he just comes out, and we're coming through the living room. And he's walking, and I'm walking. We're on collision course. And I immediately just step to the side, just let it pass. And my dad steps to the side and steps in front of me. And I'm like, all right, here it comes. Here it comes. My dad wasn't abused. He didn't hit me or anything like that. It was just the disappointment, just the, the act of love that he had given me and what I had done with it and just the weight of it. And I just didn't want to face him. I knew he was upset. My dad steps in front of me. And he just puts his arms around me. He just hugs me. We both just cry in the middle of that living room. And we're not crying over that car. I'm sitting there crying over the fact that that car and what I did with it almost wrecked our relationship. It almost came in and ruined that whole beautiful thing that we had. 
my dad just stood there and we just cried and that was the first time. And my mom's married life that she had seen my dad cry. I'd never seen my dad cry before that. My dad's a crybaby now. <laughs> I guess being a grandpa does that. I never. And we just stand there and cry. And that embrace, oh my gosh, it healed. It healed everything. That was not what I was expecting. And God's answer to our brokenness and our sin and our willfulness is not what we expected either. We never dreamed he would do what he did with Jesus. See, while they were gone, my parents went to Rio Doso. They went to the mountains, one of my dad's favorite places to be. And my dad just dealt with his anger there. He dealt with his frustration. He dealt with all of the disappointment. And he poured it out completely on there so that when we reconnected, that wasn't a part of the equation anymore. See, Jesus died on a place called Mount Calvary. And God and Jesus went to the mountain on our behalf. And they poured out the wrath of God for our mistakes 100% on Jesus in that moment. So that the relationship that had been broken, so that it's not an issue anymore. It's not an issue anymore. It got poured out and dealt with. And you and I have ready access to the Father, not because we did anything right, but because He handled it right. And He poured it out on Jesus. See, God moved first. And there are a few things we can do in response to His love. For the first one is go to God. He's come to you. Just go to Him. Say, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my life. It doesn't matter what Jesus did was big enough. And you go to Him. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. He wants us. If we're weary and we're burdened, that means it's more than we can handle, and that's when we need to go to God. Then remember who you really are. You were created to be a child of God. You're made in the image of God. You were created for relationship with Him. You were created for that. Remember that. Say, well, I don't deserve grace. Of course you don't. That's why it's grace. That's why it's, otherwise it would be something we earned. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us. That's not fair, but He did it. And so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Well, I don't feel very righteous. No, we're not. But in Him we are. Because of what He did. And we need to connect with other believers. That's why this kind of thing is important. That's why being around other believers in small groups and all of those different things, having Bible studies and prayer partners and any other way you can connect with believers is important. Hebrews 10 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on. Towards love and good deeds, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Folks, we need to connect. His grace act is activated in our lives when we're connected with each other. And then we need to embrace the life that God wants to give you. God wants more for you than even what you're enjoying right now. You need to just embrace it and take it. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has prepared for those who love Him. See, sin and grace, the two most important of life's realities. See, sin broke our connection with God. And grace reconnects us to God.
Romans 5 says the law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, God's all about turning the, the broken into something beautiful. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And have been called according to his purpose. That's what this moment's about. It's about remembering. Let's let all the extra Christian fluff stuff fall off of us. And let's just dial it back to the fact that God so loved us that he took care of all of it in Christ. And we can have a relationship with him. Let's just start there. Let's just let it always be about that let's embrace the grace and let God turn your broken into beauty this morning I want to create a quiet moment and what better time for those who are disconnected from God to say yes to him than right now right now on Easter morning and while nobody's looking around if that's you I just want and you want to say yes to that I want you to just raise your hand and we're going to pray with you it's as simple as that just believe in it in your heart and it's done. It really is that beautiful and that simple. If that's you, just raise your hand and we want to pray with you. There'll be somebody in T9. If you're in T9, awesome, awesome. Wonderful. Wonderful. Believers, let's just lift our voices with these. Let's make these words our own. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for your love for me and that you were in Christ making things right between the two of us. I believe Jesus' work is enough 